Copy, shift boss. I got radio check. Yeah, radio is working fine. Yeah, copy all personnel. Yeah, copy, mate. The chair in the vent bag. Yeah, stitcher up there. Thanks, mate. Right, Jonesy, welcome, mate. How are you, mate? Good. Oh, good, mate. Good. Been a long awaited catch up. It's been a while. We've been trying to get it over a few swings, so. Yeah, no, nah, it's seven years. It's fantastic. First thing I wanted to ask, mate, uh, how are you enjoying living in a house rather than a bus? Last oh, time I seen you, you were living in a bus in Exmouth. Off the wheels. Oh, look, I, well, we spoke about it before, but living in the bus, awesome. Like, yeah. happy days doing those sorts of things, but, you know. Yeah. It's good to, good to be in a house. Yeah. Oh, the buddy, you won't get, I don't think you get much fishing like that down in uh, Perth, living in Exmouth, by the sounds. Haven't even tried fishing, Danny. No, you wouldn't. Wouldn't. Father, mates of mine went up to bloody Exmouth fish, and they reckon every time you pull in a fish, there's usually a shark following it. They usually come up in half. <laughs> Apparently, anyway. Yeah. Plenty, uh, plenty of sharks up there, but, you know, and that was a good life for the boys when we were up there too, you know, in and out of yeah. Paulson's, and you can just go and pick the kids up from school and chuck the tin in and get some squid. Yep. Lots of fun. Yeah, I'd imagine so. All right. So what are you up to these days, Jonesy? Uh, just doing some consulting work at the moment, just um, working with some different clients, um, you know, just helping them out operationally, just, uh, you know, using all the experiences that I've gained thus far and just applying them to the, the different projects that they've got. Yep. How many, and this, this years of experience, what are you up to now? What's the, what's the mining clock on? Ooh, 93 is when I started. I think it was about 17. Uh, yeah, 17 when I started underground. Yep. So whatever that is now, 24. Jeez, that, I was in kinder, that was my first year of kindergarten, actually, mm. 93. I do remember that. Well, um, so well, I guess we'll start. There's no, we're not going to go a chronological order in this, but I guess we'll start at the start. What are, just, uh, I guess, tell the listeners about your, your humble beginnings in the mining industry. What got you into it at 17? Where, where were you based? At, uh... Started in uh, Tennant Craig. We actually grew up there. We were travelling around. Australia and Tennant Creek's a little gold mining town for those that don't know one of the uh, richest places a good five and a half million ounces have come out of there I think so yeah, right. um, iron oxide copper gold uh, region so like lots of high grade there but uh, we grew up in there and I just knew the mine managers in the town um, just through you know it's like a 3,000 person town so you get to know a lot of people and there was an opportunity that came up over one of the summers and got it got a start there and then one of the guys left from the underground crew, and this was like a 10-man crew, air legs, um, you know, little 150 boggers and, and all those sorts of things, and um, asked him if I can get a job there before I went to uni, and they said, yeah, no worries. So I started there yeah, at 17 and got some more experience there and then stayed there for another year. And then I guess I should give a shout-out to the mine manager at the time, Kevin Hendry. He just said, nah, you're not staying here anymore. <laughs> I've already forced you to go to school. Off, off to school, you got to go. Because I, I wanted to stay another year, you know. You know what it's like. You, you get all this money and experience and yep. you tend to spend it all <laughs> at that, that young age. Um, so, yeah, no, he said, you need to go go to school and do that. So you, you're not having a job next year. So Yeah, right. So what, what sort of stuff were you doing? Was was it a um, sort of an air leg show? Was it mechanised? mechanised mining where oh, we, we did most of it was done with air legs on narrow vein obviously um but we did have a jumbo and one long hole doing sorts of things so i started um on the afternoon shift because this was back in the eight hour days oh yeah for the yep. air leggers so just on 150s um bogging their headings and then setting them things up um and, with, and going with the guys in the soaps at night and then yeah just going through all the sorts of roles as an operator yep um which is good because you know we could get on the jumbos as well and offsiding the jumbos you were charging 
charging the faces that the jumbos were boring and bolting the walls with an air leg, yep. you know, as you're going along behind the jumbo, yep. um, doing all those sorts of things. So having all that experience and then getting kicked out down to uni <laughs> was um, actually really good, you know, so having all that before you go yep. gives you a really good idea about what you're trying to learn. Exactly, exactly. I, and you've probably seen it seen it so many times over the years. I know I was, I was a case of it. And then the, the blokes that once you get underground, you just don't want to leave. And it's that once you get in that environment, you're like, because it's obviously so much bloody fun when you're doing oh, it. it. And, and to, to go back to the alternative in the office, yeah. Um, so your uni, which uni did you go to? The, uh, I went to the oldest school of mines in Australia over in Ballarat. Yep, yep. A couple of years older than was I. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in a mining town and never been um, to Victoria. So I decided to, to get over that way and get into the school of mines. So I studied that over there. Did some work up at Stall, which is just like an hour or so out of Ballarat. And then um, did my thesis up that, that way as well and then came over west after all that was finished. Yep. That, Actually... That- Sorry, that place. That, I don't know if you're up on that area at the moment because Fosterville, that that's near. That is just unbelievable. The goal that they've ran into at that joint, or just Un, unfathomable what uh, they're doing. Ju- there. It's unbelievable. It's really, really good. Good for Victoria yeah. and gold mining in general. But you just know. the grade, the sheer grades, the bloody ounce dirt coming out. Yeah. I think their reserves are actual ounce dirt. That's the actual reserves. I was looking at it the other day. I just and but it just doesn't ever make logical sense where they've this bonanza they've ran into. It just looks like the mine was finished and then bang, there's this. Gold, <laughs> that, that's mining, uh, not just gold mining. That's all mining. You know, you, some, you can be almost done and you just find something and then, and then there it is. You know, they're half a million ounces a year coming up. Yeah, that joint. Yeah, God, you wish you bought shit, bloody shares in them. God, they'd probably what? outperform Northern Star. You'd rather yeah. buy the mine, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent share. There, sorry, I cut you off. Where and um, when you headed over west, where where'd you head to? I started actually, you know, when I, when I came back, I was actually overseas for a little bit, doing some sort of backpacking, um, bit of a holiday, and then when I came back, you know, I needed to get some opportunities. So again, I wanted to get back mining, and and a job came up as a a leading hand on a bogging crew up north near Fitzroy Crossing at Pilara on the Leonard Shelf. Um, so I went up there for a job interview and the guys up there saw me with a you know an engineering degree on my resume and they said, nah, you're not on the boggers. <laughs> back, I need I need engineers in the office. So, you know, it was an, okay, get back in there and, and do that sort of stuff. So you can't stay on the tools all the time and that's a tip for you, Matty. Yep. Um, you know, the, op- the time will come when you just need to bite the bullet and, you know, it'll be a pay cut for you to go backwards, but in the longer run you know you're not going to bust your guts down the hole doing that forever yeah i know i just i the thing that's getting me at the moment i hate the gym and just underground's free exercise that i'll get paid for that's the (laughs) real thing i'm looking forward to Uh, it's you you probably don't know yourself you look in pretty good condition but since i've hit me 30s the love handles are just bloody getting out of control it's just just not like when i was 22 i could eat whatever i want but no as you know i can't use that as an excuse Uh, (laughs) and the kids will keep you busy right if you keep chasing those guys around as they get older you'll be busy oh i know daughter chloe at the moment she's six months so she's um relatively stationary at the moment she's like got the roll going but when she starts oh i think when she starts running and everything that's gonna bloody test me out you consider in one spot at the moment she doesn't bloody move but uh yes it all will come to fruition yes uh now you bo- let's talk about your bogging career obviously yeah by the sounds you were uh pretty done a bit of time on it 
and and you nearly want to do that ahead of engineering by the sounds. How, how'd you go? How'd you rate yourself on the bog? This is this is your episode, Jonesy. You can pump your own tyres up. Then you won't bloody how'd, – how'd you go on the bogger? Well, I, w- I wouldn't say I was world-class, but I, I certainly could handle the machine quite well. Um, and this was all line-of-sight days, so no no tellies were back when I was using the machines. And I think there was only one of one or two of them that I got into that had a steering wheel. So yep. uh, it was all uh, column shift back in those days. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, I thought – I did a lot of time on the 150s and then these new U-Butte 151s came out. Um, and a lot of time on old 15, 1500s and 1700s and those sorts of things. But, yeah, that was all back on line of sights, um, you know, hand-eye coordination on those new machines, and, and that was good. So, But when I when I wanted to come back and, and get on the boggers again, that was really just a, a more pay than what an engineer was worth. Yep. You know, I think an engineering job was about 48 grand or something back back in those days, whereas a bogger was, you know, 90 grand. Yeah. So when you've got no money... Guess which one you want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What um? So uh, there's probably a lot of listeners out there, a lot of the younger people. And God, look, I haven't even seen it much myself. But take us through the line of sight bogging and what it entailed, and actually what you the whole turkey nest side of things, and how you actually protected yourself. Because um, as I said, there's a lot of people that probably have never and will never see line of sight bogging now in the modern mining era. Yeah, well, I mean, line of sights, you you. Like, like most things, when you're visually looking at it yourself as opposed to a screen, you can see a lot more, you can hear the machine a lot better than you can with, you know, the speakers that come through on, on today's tellies. Um, all my remoting was done through cutties as well, so not um, turkey's nest. So you're actually standing in the remote cutty, chained to the wall, um, so you can only come out so far and then you have to get back in there. But, you know... You'd, it was all straight line of sight, not around the corner. You couldn't see anything else. And most of it was listening to the machine and, and the ground and, and see what's going on with the dirt rilling and those sorts of things in the stopes. So a lot, a lot of – were there many times where you, you're actually bogging without vision of the bogger, like purely bogging by ear or um, – I've, I've done it a couple of times where, where it's gone around and, you know, you can see the lights and those sorts of things. So I guess you can still see visually what's going on and you, and you know what the drive's looking like. Um, you know, because you were up there in the previous stope, as, you know, as you're retreating the stopes back to an access. So, you know, yep. you know where you were just trying to chase some extra dirt. But um, there's only so much you can see on line of sight. Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine it should be pretty easy to get some wheel spins going on if you're, yeah. <laughs> if you're not yeah, revving the guts out of it and you don't see it. Yeah. Um, now, you're, I guess we'll go. You're covering all facets here, Jonesy. We're going from bogger to engineering. Like, yeah, well, I've been around a while. Complete like, bloody package. Like yourself, you know, you, you get your different experiences along the way and, you know, when it's 25 years or whatever it is, you know, in the industry, you, you get to do a few different things. Yep. I suppose, yeah, Which is got... good because, I mean, it's a great career, um, career choice. Well, I thought it was, you know, because you are, you know, you have so much fun underground. I was listening to your previous podcast, you know. It's, it's an enjoyable thing you know, to do for a young boy in that sort of industry, you're like, this is great. Yeah. Like, I get paid to do this stuff. I'll do it for free. Yeah. Because it's so much fun. Oh, I wouldn't bloody go that far. But, <laughs> but <laughs> no, nah, it is. the And, and the bloody, com- the I think I, I did say it in that episode today, it was um, just the bloody, how pumped you are at the run around in the shift, getting that charge and that final cut. And that's that, that's that thing that makes you keep coming back to bloody work every week sometimes. Yep. And it's... Yeah, especially when you – and I think 
bloke said to me when you're working in those like when you said Polara like those real hot joints that are just difficult to work in there the that's when the boys all get like they'll end boys and girls that's when everyone the camaraderie really gets together the the heart of the mind the tide of the crews yeah. so um now when you went into the engineering path um where did you what were your humble beginnings there like as a drill and blast engineer planning engineer what sort Sta- of- uh, started with the ventilation side of things up at Polara there so we had yeah. the three three mines one at Polara the other one at Kapok and Gunjua and they were very hot and deep mines so there was a full-time role for one vent officer to look after the three different mines yep um even one of the mines at, at Kapok some of the the water down there like you could put your fingers in the groundwater and it's like a cup of tea so yeah, that's I've the sort of stuff that. you're dealing with, and it's like really, really hot, yeah. really hot. So you really have to be on top of the, the secondary ventilation and just you know help the guys out to make sure that everything that you're doing can you know make sure it's safe for them and and get the things done. So sometimes it was 36 hours to turn a cut around because it was just too hot to get in there. Yeah, right. Because is that was correct me if I'm wrong. The ore body at Kapok was it. A, like the ore body was like a perfect one in seven down, and the decline was chucked actually right through the guts of the ore. Kajibat. Kajibat was like that. Um, yeah. I think it was was it WMC or BHP, but um, that was pretty much a, a box cut and straight down in ore. Yeah. And just straight down. I, I never got down. It was flooded when I was up that way, but Kapok was next to it. Okay. Yep. The same camp as Kajibat, yeah. Yeah. How did you. So we'll get to the Paulson's days after this, but how was temperature-wise, Kapok rate to Paulson's when, um, I guess, before Paulson's had the ventilation upgrade, was that probably hotter hotter than Paulson's or up in K- that Kapok sort of... would have been hotter than Paulson's. Yeah. And there's been some other hot mines, you know, in North Queensland as well. Yeah. Um, but Kapok was probably one of the hottest ones that I've had to work into as well. Yeah. Um, yeah and that was deep. I don't think the ore body started to about 500 metres um, below surface, but it was laterally spread out, so you had to take all that ventilation with you. So it was, it was always a push to get enough cooling out to the extremities of the mine so it was always just very hot yeah how long how long did you spend up that way the um, Leonard shelf area uh it's probably about three years that we were up that way yep in and out of broom which is a tough gig oh geez especially during backpacker season as a young fella yeah um so where did you head when so early days of engineering when did you start venturing towards your management roles which obviously you've made a prolific career out of eventually when when did that sort of start coming to fruition for you um those leonard shelf days that was more as we mentioned you know the, the ventilation sort of work and the production um and get, getting into the planning and then then we moved back down to perth um with m who's my wife as a teacher so the opportunity to, to move back to perth was there so we had to move and that's when I went to work with Barrick so, um, as a bigger company at, at, at Lawler's. Um, and I guess that's where the management and the, the senior engineering sort of accountability starts to step up a little bit more back in those days. So. Yep. Now with, I guess, Barrick, I um, did some work over at uh, Cannington last year. And I guess that was my first exposure to that really top tier mining company like the obviously bhp sort of grounding looking at the systems and processes was was barrack pretty similar to that in terms of the systems and the standards and the processes well i mean barrack was a very big company at the time right so and it had a very big presence in australia so very a lot of systems in place a lot of processes um that you know trying to emulate across the organization as well um 
but in in terms of operating what you do underground and you know scheduling and planning like they're all individual to the operations right so yeah um there was a lot of systems that were established to follow and you know you can always fine-tune those things as you go along yeah yeah but i guess it's uh uh such a i guess it gives you such a good grounding and the training of being at places such sophisticated standards and processes like that sophisticated um (laughs) maybe maybe not quite so sophisticated but certainly systems that have been developed and you know supported um as a corporation that suit that operation and those sorts of things so um but i wasn't you know upper level management there is more following the systems that were in place yeah yeah so how long did you spend at uh lawless i think lawless was nearly two or three years as well and as i said i did a bit over in north queensland for barrack at the osborne mine too um and that was when i decided to to move along from barrack just for different opportunities as well and you know go away from the bigger companies to sort of the smaller companies that's that's when i first went over to paulson's with intrepid which is just a small company with one little mine up there yep so and because you were obviously that you you would be classed as the inaugural general manager of northern star would that be right as for northern when northern star got when i first went there it was as i said it was in intrepid minerals at the time um which had just been born out of new star which was an exploration company that that had the asset before that and they started it um so i was the underground manager when i first went there yep in 2008 i think it was um yeah, so I was there for a few years as the underground manager, moving along with that, and then um, that's when I started my little consultancy thing, yep. um, and did a few few different jobs and opportunities there, and I was building, you know, some other um, mines around the country, um, and that's when Northern Star in 2010, I think it was July, um, they got their hands on to the Paulsons asset, and that's when I came back as a GM over that way. Yeah, so that oh, I guess that uh, earlier days of Paulsons prior to. Uh prior to northern stars conception that would have been right up your alley looking at it because some of the, a lot of the air leg air leg work that was done there that was sort of similar to what you did back in the early yeah. days i assume that- well, i mean it's a great little mine it's 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 got all sorts of different things it's got the air legging and the you know the long hole production and all the development that goes on there it was a contract mine with barminka at the time um and a small company so you know you you wear three or four different hats and you control your own destiny of what goes on so yeah. it, was, it was a good time to be in there because I think those those famous uh, that famous picture of those airleg stopes from Paulson's, I think uh, BJ's got that at his uh, amps office, and it's just the uh, you talk to a lot of guys, they reckon they're the neatest neatest tidiest airleg stopes they've ever seen. The ones at Paulson's, obviously brilliant ground holding them up, but it was uh, yeah. Look, I believe they're in the the ten forty five level. Um, and Evan McKern, I think, was the photographer that's actually got those ones. Yep. Um, he's with our Vista now and Entec. Um, but yeah, certainly great looking ground there. Um, you could pretty much do anything you wanted in that ground up there. Yeah. There was only uh, only one stope that I think it had a hanging wall failure um, in you know the first three years that was there. So and that yep. was probably the first one they tried to see how far they could push it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um down the bottom. I know there was that sort of graphitic shale contact that used to bloody peel off there. Everything was a lot more vertical down there, but the air legging stuff looked just unbelievable yeah, yeah. it's just just straight in the quartz veins and just yeah perfect great great for boring not bad for the bit bit bad for the bits yeah um do you reckon there's any do you reckon there's any gold still up there in paulson's on the extremities or that joint has been mined out to the death i'd say oh well i know you know we were spending a lot of time looking at it both with intrepid and northern star and lots of exploration you know trying to find 
another, you know, another all body. Um, it's got to be there somewhere. You never find an all body on its own. Yeah. Um, surrounded by all the iron ore mines up there, there's this little high grade Paulson sitting there. It's got to be something. Yeah. It, it was unbelievable that. Um I think it was the actual Paulson Social Club logo, wasn't it? The actual that quartz peak that pops out of the bloody ground there, the top of the top of the ore body. It was just it's literally just a quartz hill just pops out. Yeah, and it just goes straight down. Yeah, because I think after I left there, because mind a hole, there was a, there was a separate ore body lateral. Or was it the Gabro offset or something like that? There was uh, mined up at Paulson's. Not, there, there, was, there wasn't an offset. Um, ore zone that they went to chase and I mean there's a few of them sort of locally but there's nothing else you know surrounding it in the region and that's you know what you really need to find is another you know another ore body there yeah yeah it's yeah oh it was there any is there any sort of mark was there like let's assume the gold price goes to three thousand dollars an ounce in the um in the coming decade was there some marginal material left there that had potential for future gold price rises or it was pretty well mined out i think it's pretty well mined out because we've done it a couple of times to go and get as much as we can you know and and like the gold price is healthy and it has been for a while um and i know with northern star we grabbed a lot of those opportunities at paulson's to get and you know the your body continues at depth and i haven't been there since 2013 i think really um so i wouldn't say that there's a lot of left in paulson's itself but you know, there's got to be something else out there. Yeah. What what depth did it actually get to? Pretty sure it just cracked over the kilometre depth. Yeah. Vertical vertical extent. So it was getting down there. Yeah. You know, it, pretty, it gets pretty warm down there these days too. So. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Was it getting seismic at all? I don't believe so, but not yeah. when I was there. Oh, well, I know. It was bloody awesome, awesome ground there. It was dream ground. Yeah. Um, now, you, I guess your journey with journey with northern star once you left paulson's as uh gm take us take us through where you went to after that where to your i think you had the old suit and tie on for a while didn't you jonesy yeah we did how, <laughs> how exciting were those times seven seven years or something with northern star um a whole hell of a lot happened in those seven years so yeah once we got paulson's up and running and changed out the contractor and you know improved what we were doing there and extended the mine life which is you know the main aim of what we we needed to do at paulson's um, then we could acquire some other assets. So back down in um, Perth there for a while, as you said, with a suit and tie on, yep. um, doing those sorts of works in, you know, as a, as a principal engineer and sort of business development activities. And then all the acquisitions came along, um, starting with the, the Plutonic one, 2014, I think it was. Really through that. Yep. Um, just, yeah, it was an unbelievable part, you know, to be associated with, with those guys and that, that group of guys at the time. Yep. Like, it was just so busy and flat out. Yeah. So exciting. Yes, yeah, have you still got? Did you still keep some of the shares you had from the early days when they were twenty cents? <laughs> I think I started when they were about ten, so yeah, yeah. there's still a few shares sitting there. Yeah, very good. Yeah, because um, the barrack assets that you acquired, they I guess you had a bit of local knowledge within the company, like yourself and Strala, that had worked with barrack. Did that uh, come come useful when you acquired those barrack assets? Um, I'd never worked at um, Plutonic or Kalgoorlie, the first two that we got out of barrack but we certainly looked at the lawless ones um where goldfield ended up um acquiring those assets yep um but they certainly you know and i know um you know other guys within northern star had worked at the other assets too so having that first-hand knowledge of the other assets certainly um gives you a good starting point of you know where you can see those things going yep so what uh, in terms of the business development stuff you worked with or um 
just take us through how oh, I guess how different it is in terms of you got you've gone from gone from bog and headings in your early days then to mining engineering all very operational then transferring into the corporate role with business development take us through look some of the just how different it is the challenges and uh, I guess the new stuff you learnt in that role compared to being on a mine site talking to blokes in a six o'clock meeting in the morning yeah sure look it's obviously completely different but it's it's the whole side of a business that's always been there um when you when you're operating or you're down the hole on a day-to-day basis you don't get exposed to that when you're you know underground managers or general managers on a mine site you start to get a little bit more exposure to what goes on down the boardroom and other expectations um, in there but in the in the business development role you really need to understand the operations that you're looking at and you get to look at a lot of different operations well we certainly did in northern star um and you know you need to apply everything that you've already seen and understand previously in in a very quick time frame so you need to be able to look at operations and assets and how they're performing and and get a good snapshot of whether there's potential there to do something different um, or whether there's any value in, you know, wanting to acquire those sorts of things. So I certainly enjoyed, you know, the whole business development side of the business as well. And again, you know, that was a big learning curve for me to get off the operations and, and look at things behind behind the scenes. Yeah. It was very good and, you know, great opportunity to be part of that with Northern Star through those days. How'd you, how'd you go with uh, the commute each day? I guess working, being Perth-based, yeah, I find it so easy being on a mine site. You get you get your dinner cooked for you, your breakfast cooked for you. You can go smash a twelve hour shift. In contrast to when you're working in Perth, the commuting time and how oh, oh, the days just seem to go bloody slower. And you got to get home and cook your own dinner. How how'd you go transitioning from that FIFO to residential lifestyle? It it, it was a lot different coming in, you know, because you got to deal with all the traffic when you when you're travelling in. Um, most of the time, I'd ride uh, a motorbike in into the city, so you can, you know, that's a little bit of fun going in, and you can sort of keep things moving quickly, so you can get in there. But you know, it, it's busy days, just as busy as you are in a mine site, and obviously not quite as long some of the time. But there's certainly plenty plenty of long days and weekends that you need to do because you just need to do it. Um, but, you know, getting home and the kids are coming home from school or they're at sport and everything else and you're still getting home late and, you know, it, it's busy. It's it's different. Um, I'm certainly used to it now um, as opposed to just doing your 12 hours and, you know, knocking off. And as you said, someone's cooked your dinner and you don't have to do the dishes. Yep. Yeah. I, I did it for, God, I did it for two weeks driving in and out of the city a few months ago and it was just off. Oh, just, just to complete eight hours of actual work, the time you have to put in to get to and from Whereas uh, at a at a mine site to do twelve hours is easy. You can wake up bloody half an hour before and rock up rock up to work. It's just so quick and easy. Yeah. I do. Yeah, mate, makes you appreciate all the guys that work in the city and do the commute every day. Especially jumping yeah. on that freeway. Oh, it's a bloody nightmare. Yeah, be be careful going back as well. There's roadworks up the road. Just you I, might I have saw to. them all. You know. Bumper to bumper as I was coming down. That's yeah. All all bloody day. Yeah. So now you. I guess your your ventures that you're up to now. So Kadji mining. Now the Kadji did that come from the Leonard Shelf days? Is that where you got that oh, name from? Kadji butts the mine. Um, we had a dog when we were up in Broome. Bought a bought a collie. Kadji is what his name was. So whether that came from Kadji or not, I'm, I'm guessing it sort of did. But that's what we come up with. So it's really named after our dog. Yep. So with uh, I guess what what sort of, what sort of stuff are you into these days? Um, 
very, as you said, diversified experience. You obviously offer a diversified range of services to the underground mining industry. Oh, exactly that. You know, I've got some some work that I'm um, doing with a client at the moment, and it's it's really just um, you know operational opportunities and those sorts of things. So to help out, um, you know, from a tech services plus operational plus management sort of reviews. Um, I've done some other project work of late over the last year or so, you know, reviewing project startups, feasibility sort of works, just again, you know, using that sort of business development side of things is you can see what a, a project is and what it's required and what opportunities there you need to try and work on. Um, so doing all that sort of stuff, which is really good. Yep. I guess this is the perfect time in the industry as well to be working for yourself because there wouldn't be any shortage of work, I'd assume. It's, oh, uh, look, it, it's, it's certainly plenty of work out there. Um, you know, it, it depends on the opportunities you're trying to chase as well. Um, work doing doing some work with um, Shane and Enteg. You know, every week they're getting calls for mining engineers. Yeah. You know, look, and most of it is site based, to be honest. But you know, they're not looking for managers as such. They're just looking for the the drill and blast, the planners, the senior engineers. There seems to be a real shortage of the guys out there with yeah, the, it's with a, the experience to to get done what needs to get done. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I've spoke about this before, and it is the hot topic at the moment because there was mining. Mining went very quiet for four years. No one did mining engineering at uni, and now they're just all these mining engineers are supposed to appear out of nowhere to fill all these mine site voids um, of tech services personnel. And what what what's your view on it all? What's what's the solution? Oh, it's gonna, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be tough. I graduated with I think it was five or six uh, guys from from Ballarat. Um, you know, that was in the, the, the 90s. Um, but even the numbers coming out now, even though there's a huge demand for engineers in the industry, they're just not coming to school. Yep. Um, you know, we need to get that education program with all the STEM subjects into high schools, um, just get them an awareness that there's all these opportunities there. But, you know, we, we're here today, and but where are they? Like, where are the engineers that we need? And it's not just engineers, you know, geos and surveyors and, and everyone else that we use on a mine site. Yeah, we need them, and they're just so hard to find. Yeah, and I think I know when I went to uni, it was like mining was, and as you said, it's it might be simply a promotion thing. I started doing civil engineering, and and everyone was like doing mining engineering. I'm like, oh yeah, what's you just don't know about it because yeah. it's, it's such a niche, it's such a niche market and a niche industry, and it is probably a lot of it's probably awareness, and definitely in the eastern states, Western Australia is probably different because it's the bulk of the economy is backed by mining um yeah but there's definitely even in underground roles um it's not just engineers and tech services there's there's shortage of like i guess your quality jump operators bogger operators because people literally haven't been trained up in that period and it's do you know uh, any good jump operators Matty? no <laughs> not in this bloody room <laughs> I mean, um, the boss might be listening to it. He'll probably take me off it if he thinks I'm the, shit. I mean, it's a difficult thing. And, you know, you've got to look outside the square and, and what you can do. Um, you know, can we train up, you know, other, you know, a personnel that can do the job of an engineer? You know, the drill and blast um, work can be done with some knowledge. So, But you don't necessarily have to have a four-year degree to do that. Um, you know, we need to look at those sorts of opportunities and just what work can we do with other people to fill these voids that we have because oh, that's one of my um well, that's one of my views or i guess ideas is that if you have because essentially having a mining engineering degree the only the only reason you need 
to have it is if you want to get your first class ticket and that that's and there's there's ways around that the the i guess you correct me if i'm wrong if you're a ventilation officer you have to have a mining engineering degree yep um to get your first class ticket you have to have a mining engineering degree or a the diploma of mining through ballarat i think and you can use use that to get your first class ticket but uh to actually perform work as a mining engineer you don't need a mining engineering degree so let's let's say i think there's that uh i guess the reverse of i guess what people like myself have done use the mining engineering to go operator but we need to look at the reverse of getting operators that are, you know, might be a bit tired and flogged out on the jumbo that don't want to be on the jumbo anymore or don't want to be on the bogger or shift boss that actually look might want to go do engineering. And the, the barrier for them that they perceive is that they don't have a mining engineering degree. But as you said, do they actually... Well, you don't need. I've, you I've don't come across. Need, you don't need one. Other engineers in the past that aren't actually engineers, but they're doing all their work and they do it well. Yeah. Um. And but they just can't go to the next step of being the underground manager. Yeah. You know, because to get that first class ticket, that as you said, you need you need a a recognised, you know, qualification, which in Australia and especially WA is that degree. Yeah. Um. But they can certainly do the work, and and I'm sure you can attest to some some people could do it a lot better than some of the engineers out there. Yeah, well, um, and it's such a technological world these days. Most people uh, know how to use computers and technology. It's yeah. not, it's not your, um, I guess, the way it was before, like where people weren't operators wouldn't use a computer and weren't tech minded. It's uh, and a lot of the software is very easy and automated now. I think I think there, there's a lot of opportunity for it anyway. Well, I there think. is. I mean, you, you can you can train people to do you know, almost anything that you want, and you know, as I said, we we live in a technological world. So people are exposed to computers as it is, um, and it's just a bit more of coaching and an education on on the simple systems. It's not rocket science, as you know. It's uh, um, mining is would have to be the most repetitive industry there is. It's no matter what you do, it's uh, yes, bolt ball fire, and after that, again. yeah, bolt ball fire, and you and and each site has its uh, way of doing things, and usually you continue to doing what works yep. and drill it drill them oh i know drill and blast is the same you usually find a pattern that works and repeat it for every start right. and they're so. and they're all the same so i mean if you've got any listeners out there that want to like look at getting off the tools so to speak and, and into the office you know talk to your, your site engineers and see what opportunities are there because pretty much every site you're going to be on at the moment they're going to be looking for mining engineers yep yep and then <laughs> but then they'll be uh, i guess when they go and do that they'll be looking for a boggers and jumbos to replace that bloke that's gone gone down and, and but, a pay cut too probably to get into yeah. the but you know if, if, if that's what suits them whether they're they've had enough or they're just looking for different challenges or you know maybe they've got some injuries where they can't you know physically jump up and down on the jumbo every day then you know those opportunities are there and it's probably something as an industry we need to try and look at because you know th- there's so much work that needs to be done we haven't got people to do it yeah and i and uh, exactly that i've seen i've worked with guys that are um, they feel like they're stuck in a bloody between rock and a hard place because they're, they're on the jumbo. They can't hardly bloody walk. They're still throwing their own bolts. And they're, but, but they've obviously become accustomed to that wage for so long, but they don't think there's another way out there. And they're like, oh, I haven't got my shift boss ticket. I'm, I'm stuck doing this forever. But And they, as we said, they probably they're not aware that you don't even – you don't need an engineering degree to be an engineer, and there's and there's so much years of experience that these guys have, and and look, even looking at mentoring roles, uh, like you got Absolutely, these yeah. these guys that are 
been underground for 20 odd years and you, you utilizing their knowledge to bridge the gap that engineers some engineers and operators have between the practical and the theoretical experience well, so there's definitely a lot of opportunity there as well i think oh yeah i mean as you just mentioned sure it's there's a lot of experience in the workforce that the engineers don't have you know i was listening to your, your previous podcast you're talking about you know what makes a good engineer um you don't know anything when you come out of school right if you can get a, a shift boss or a foreman that's been around for 20 odd years and teach him to be an engineer well he actually starts with a whole lot of experience you know yeah. more than an engineer will get yeah um you know so there's those opportunities that are out there and it's probably something we need to start looking at a little bit more is you know how we can use them but then you know you've got the the other side of the coins problem is if you take your jumbo and your your tele-remote bogger operator out because he's in the office then you've got to replace them yeah and if this nickel nickel surges like it's going to uh i know that oh, i was speaking speaking to some guys from um some project managers from con, con, contractors in wa and they they just said they're just so i guess scared of the the fact when it does even though there's going to be so much work for everyone it's just that that skill shortage being able to supply the workforce to actually and have them properly trained to work safely and because if you've got all these people running around with limited experience in these higher roles it's it's just they're just everyone just gets spread too thin that that industry experience and you know it's like when you're on the jumbo you're on your own right you don't generally have people hanging around you can teach nah you're on your own yeah exactly and you do i know i certainly think of it sometimes like you got to that especially now being being a father it's like you if you make a stupid decision down there by yourself you you're completely fucked pretty much because you can't um you you're always out of comms you're by yourself and you might get checked you obviously you get checked by your shift boss um a couple of times a shift and and the nipper but like yeah if you make a stupid decision and you no one's there, no one's there to help you. No, so. and and you know you can't always have people with everyone, especially in the underground mine, all the time. Like we don't have the resources to do every job that we want to do. So yeah. you can't you can't double it up. It'd be ideal if you could, and you know, educate people and train them all, and you know, show them to all different you know different facets of the operation. But we're just not in that boat. No, no, it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting few years anyway. Um, well, hopefully the nickel price does does turn around. Um, you know, that'll get a lot of projects up and going again, which would be great for the industry. But, you know, we're going to have our struggles filling the roles required to, you know, A, mine the dirt and B, plan it all. Yep. Yep. There's, and there's, look, the software's software automation. I know so a lot of the ring design packages now, that Aegis that's out, like it's, it's a lot quicker to generate plans and everything. It's um, it's just having that manpower and like, automation's come a long way but it you go down the road of automation there's not much room for room to actually customize it's just becomes a bit nothing there's no perfect door body where you can run automation to get full no, extraction I mean, you know underground's like it changes every day too so yeah. and you know i know the jumbo operators don't bore it on the on the the controls every time nah. you know the the walls move and the backs go up and the floor comes yeah, up yeah I, bl- I blame i blame out of profile on ground convergence usually yep. definitely not yeah. definitely not so, boring you know, on the automation can't quite you know i mean it'll get there one day but you know we're a long way off it from underground yeah. but you know we've got to take small steps and start yeah um but it's still going to take a fair bit of work to do that and then you need the extra guy focusing on that 
to get it to work. Yeah. Who's not doing the other things to keep everything else going? So. Well, that, speaking of automation on the jumbo, I've seen I've seen the the DD four twenty two I like that's a it's such a clever machine with the automation. It like everything is set up perfect perfectly straight, but it it can't it doesn't know what the steel's doing. So like it, it the computer you can auto bore it and everything. It's um perfectly lined up as the computer, but it's still hasn't got the well, my understanding hasn't got the capability to actually get the steel straight it can have the rail perfectly straight but the steel could be bending bloody all different directions especially those i've seen the six meter one and it's just uh, i've never seen there actually it's like a triple s i've seen a six meter steel can bend about five different points it's unbelievable to see i'm sure the, yeah. the toe of those holes could end up in any spot yeah exactly um okay so that's that's been a great overview of your mining career james i guess we'll, we'll look at it a bit of a bit of reflection now um what are some of the big oh james you just did a bit of a look up an actual reflection look there <laughs> just seeing what the time was on the clock that's all tell tell me when how much time we got left we got no, got you for another oh, no, 15 no, we're good. Yeah, yeah we're fine yeah um now what i guess what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the industry from when you started to where we are now what are some of the changes for the better I, I guess a lot we'll of the a lot of the safety systems that we have in place you know I, I did start as i said when i was 17 in the northern territory so things were a little bit different um back in those days yeah um and and for the better you know we, we want to be sending everyone home every day with all their fingers and toes yeah um so that the process is on a safety front and you know we just mentioned automation as well so they're, they're certainly trying to make the industry a better and safer place for everyone else, and there's a lot of people in it. So that's certainly come a long way. Um, productivities and efficiencies um, are also improving, you know, out of this world for what we can get with the machines that we've got. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a big change that I see as well. But I really think the biggest thing and, you know, the, the knowledge that we have with our safety systems and how we approach what we do, you know, as managers of mines... Um, from an underground point of view is, is certainly come a long way from my early days yeah but it's unbelievable to see even i guess how much you've seen it change over those years but also how similar how uninnovative mining can be in terms of people are still drilling the same burn <laughs> for, for the it, jumbo it was still it, it's very was, hard to change it yeah and i was talking to one of the senior engineers the other day with the 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 client I'm working with at the moment and I said that you know there's no new incidents underground like everything that's happened has already been happened before and we have yeah. processes and procedures and people understand these sorts of things yeah and then lo and behold the next day something I've never come across before yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the details of it but you know I'd even after 25 years still getting surprised still got surprised <laughs> by some of the decisions that some people make um, and that's it it's a it is a choice and as i spoke about before it's um you, you can put any sort of systems and processes in place whatever but you cannot you cannot enforce someone to not make a choice no, that's right and yeah. you know as, as a manager um you know if you ever get get off the tools and you know go to use the ticket yourself the responsibility that you have you know it's it's not about being everyone's mate and just making sure everything is all fun and, and all good you, you know you have a business to run but more importantly than that you're going to make sure that the place that you're working at is safe for the people to be there yeah um and that's a that's a big thing to do so you have lots of education and everyone gets inducted everyone has their processes and their procedures that they go through and you have your safety meetings and you talk about all these things that you want them to do and empower all the guys all the the guys and the girls to 
to make the right decisions so, you know, everyone goes home safe, you know. And we, 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 if we can't fire a stoke because it's not safe, we want you to not fire it, right? Yeah. Um, that gets drilled into everybody, but people still make a choice to do some things that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And, and, and with the knowledge that they know they shouldn't. And, yeah. you know, that's a very hard thing to try and manage. Um, more often than not, um, it, things go okay, but it's the culture of you, we want people to be making the right decisions so that that's not even a choice that things might go wrong. Yeah. And that's that whole thing has been, I guess, what's inspired me to do this podcast. It's been, and it's all, it's all around, and it stems from so many areas. And the whole being rushed to fire a stope or to fire a heading. That there's so many things that lead up to that point. Whether it's we can, and it's like sharing all these trade secrets that everyone's got about how to do your job better. And then it could have stemmed. Look, if someone was a bit had a bit more experience earlier in the shift to go, to bring that whole cycle forward an hour that you take all that pressure at the end it of takes, it, it takes it takes away take all that, that pressure. perceived pressure yeah it, it's yeah. not implied it's yeah. it's people perceive those sorts of pressures at the end of the day yeah um you know how many times have you fired late for different reasons exactly you know, it happens all the time and mm. and that's what your management wants you know they don't want anyone to get hurt rush yeah. skip miss out things not charge holes you know yeah. not use the firing lines just go with bell wire yeah you know we're not in the 80s anymore. Yep. Um, you know, we want to make things safer and, you know, we can delay firings. It's okay. Yeah. And and but, and but that all that all stems from a, even higher up. And then this is, I guess you want to inspire the tech services side of things as well because um, you don't want to have that production pressure where you need to fire that stope that day to get your targets. You know, you know it's all about having that good planning in place, good practical schedules that are easy not easy nothing's easy underground there's so many holes in the cheese that have to line up to execute a mm-hmm. schedule successfully but you want you you want low pressure schedules that are practical to attain yeah. um, well, look you've got to have schedules that achieve the business goals and you know yeah. they're always there's always going to be um pressure in a schedule to you know try and try and get more to make the business more profitable but you know it's on the day-to-day basis is where you want to focus to make sure that the pressure is not causing you to take shortcuts yeah um and do those sorts of things and if you ever come across a schedule that's perfect please send it on right? oh, because the, and and perfectly executed yeah, as well the, that's the, the next the hour you make it you know and then it's it's already half an hour out of whack yeah you know, and and i said that in the last episode there's the the, the three the three components of a mine usually you've got your client your contractor and the asset and, and it's impossible to get 100% utilisation out of more than one of them. It's yeah. like you, what's best for the ore body isn't best for the client, isn't best for the contractor. Definitely not what's best for the contractor isn't best for the uh, client. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, it depends how you manage that contract, I suppose. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is swings and roundabouts and, and some weeks it's better for the client and some weeks it's better for the contractor. Yeah. Um, but ultimately you want to make it sure it's right for the mine or the asset and the business, you know, whoever's owning it and where it goes because we want to make sure everyone's got all the jobs that they need. Um, you know, and keep growing the industry. Yeah, and and back to your point about people people making choices and reducing incidents. Best 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 advice I can give: go have a child. Ever since I've <laughs> ever ever since I've uh, I'm a newfound father. Just yeah, you know, I know my perspective changes. And look, buddy, I've it, we've all done stupid things underground. And and look, now it's just I know being a father, you just you look like ah, uh, yeah. You, you you make better choices and you just it's uh definitely inspires you to your you, whole perspective on being 
working underground mine has just changed so much just because i know i've got this family to provide for and to go home to and i'm, I'm not going to sit here and say i was a bloody perfect underground bloke because I, I wasn't no no one is everyone's done stupid shit and i guess we're just trying to Oh, I know I'm trying to use this to inspire people to make better choices and to be better at your job underground. So I, I 100% agree, Matty. You know, being a dad yeah. certainly changed your perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, my kids are all going to be 15 and 13, you know, in the next month or so. Um, but you have to explain things differently. And, you know, you, you, don't, you don't appreciate that, how you can apply that in a, in a work sense of how you need to get your message across you know to the guys in the industry because you have to keep explaining things and you know you can't just put it out in a memo and flash it up on a on a safety board and and everything happens you know you've got to from my point of view you've got to get out of the office you've got to be down the hole you've got to see the guys in their workplace ask them about it talk to them about explain what you want as a manager for this whatever issue that you're dealing with um to be dealt with you know when you're a dad you, you can't say something to your kid and it happens yep you know you are a young dad and you've got a long road ahead of you but you know, saying something once or even twice to your kid doesn't happen. Yep. Yeah, no, look, and, and feel free to any fatherly advice, Jonesy, while you're here, mate. <laughs> Pass on from 15 mate, years. I'm, I'm all ears as well. I'm making it up as I go. <laughs> oh, aren't we all? Yeah. Um, and and uh, that, I guess that the importance of that practical experience that okay, you, you've attained yourself and being able to go down the hole and I guess when you talk to blokes and you say, look, this is how you do it to, to a bit of education and, and I guess having that practical experience it's so important because when they look at you they say yeah, yeah no he does know what he's talking about old James he was pretty shit hot on the bogger back in the day oh, but they, they wouldn't say that Matty, but, <laughs> you know it, it's again like I think you mentioned it before in one of your other podcasts you know when when you're an engineer and you come out of school like you all think you know it all yeah but you don't know anything no and you know it only comes with experience and you know you've got to get your credibility in the jobs that you do you know, even if just, just because you've been an engineer for five years doesn't mean you know it all. No. But there's some engineers that have been around for five years who've got some good practical experience. And oh, and I know when I got to I got to about eight years and it just sort of hit me. It's just like, holy shit, I know nothing. I re- re- it really hit me how little I knew. And because you just, you start getting to the stage where you, you think you're getting confident, you're retaining all this experience, but you just, every day, you just keep getting surprised about all these blind spots that you have in your mining knowledge. And you just get to the stage where you, I started actually losing confidence the more experience I got. Because I just like, every year I went on, something. I just realized how much less I knew. And well, as long as you accept, you know, and I, I say it a lot in, in my career as well, but, you know, it's lifelong learning. Like, I don't know, you know, half the stuff that goes on because I'm still learning about everything that goes on. So, And you've got to draw on all the experiences that everyone brings to the table, and they're all different. They've all yeah. been at different mines. They've all had different exposures to different things. Um, just because you've done it once doesn't mean that was the right way to do it. Yeah. And there was, or there isn't a better way to do it or anything like that. So you've got to use the whole team. Um you know to get the best out of the whole team and i was you've you've taken the words right out of my mouth there it's uh, no it's there's no no one bloke's going to know it all and you there's so much everyone has so much to offer and and i spoke about in the last episode whether you're doing a schedule and look even if you're doing a bloody level design as an engineer put the bloody print the thing on an a1 piece of paper or an a0 spread it out over the table and when you're doing your morning meeting get every bastard involved like geos foremans shift bosses get them before they go down the hole and say look what does everyone think of this because there's people have been at so many different minds and there's so much knowledge to tap into 
um, you're mad to try and do it yourself. No, no one's that bloody good. And well, that, that, some, some people are, and if you've done it before and it works, it's probably going to work. But there's, there's always that one little comment that someone makes, you're like, oh, yeah, just to make everything that little bit better. Yeah. I mean, you may know it as, as a jumbo operator. You can go down there and you say, why do we keep doing this all the time? Like yep. you have that comment, you have your discussion with the charge guy and then you have a discussion with the shift boss and I don't know why we do it. The engineers keep designing it this way. But we don't include the engineers in some of those conversations and, and they don't know. So yep. they don't know what they don't know and you guys yep. don't know what you don't know because of the way that they're designing it, yep. you know, for a particular reason. So just draw on everyone that's around you and, and see what, you know, what you can come up with as a group that works best in that situation. So, I mean, they're all different. Yeah. But, you know, as you said, print it out on a plan, go down and pull it out on the jumbo. So, mate, how are we going to put in this stockpile in the sum? Yep. What works best down here? Yep, exactly. And as I've said before, uh, even putting putting drives on angles, I, I was bad for it as a bloody engineer. You just said it all looks tidy on the screen when you're putting things at 90 degrees, but they don't have to be 90 degrees, uh, only if you're bloody backing, backing trucks in. Um things like that you can you can speed up the mining cycle by just just little things and look it's it's obviously better better for the jump operator and the bogger if it's on an angle but mightn't be better for something else mm. but there's always ways to improve and that's and getting those find out what's what's the best for each person what what's the best for the manager what's the best for the bogger what's the best for the jumbo what's the best for the asset um and it's finding that balance of exactly right just between you know, all put, that. putting in sumps you know if you put them in at 60 degrees because it's easier for the bogger to get in there and it's easier for the jumbo to take it out you know you got to look that make sure you're not blowing out the bottom corner because it's too acute of an angle yeah and then you know it doesn't hold any water so you know executing the plan um, you know, may cause some of the problems because if, if it's not done properly, then that's why it's a little bit steeper. You know, yep. so you might go at eighty degrees or something like that. So, yep. but again, it, it's feedback and getting down the hole. Like, what's going on? What's the best way do we do this? How does it make it better for you? How's it better for the engineers? Do we need to take three cuts? Can we just do two? You know, yep. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and another. I was speaking specifically about sumps. Is is drain holes so what's best for the engineer usually easiest for the long hole driller to drill is usually putting it on the outside edge of the bogger uh on the far side which is just that means your standpipe is just going to get snotted every time um so it's it's things like right you've got to even though it's difficult to drill you've got to try put that drain hole on the on the inside edge of your sump so the bogger can see it and he won't hit the bloody thing so always put your drain holes in the lowest point too just just because it's low on the screen and surf back, as you say, <laughs> yeah. just, you know, go down there and stand in the drive at the deepest part of the water. There That's was a, where you put your drill hole. There was a, I think there was a, <laughs> I was at a mine site, there was a VAC student did a, uh, he either did a study or made a comment and said uh, sumps work most efficiently when the sumps are below the water height, something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was revolutionary yeah. thinking. Let's catch the water in the sump. <laughs> yeah. Actually, and another one at Buddy, this worked really well at um, one of the sites I was at last year. Speed, speed, we'll get, we're on a sump rage at the moment. But general thought was always you had to come off your bloody decline, you had to grade down to your sump and grade up. And that was, but as you, as you know, you always got this big, massive frigging puddle of water in the middle of the, even though everything's drained in the sump, you got this down and up. You can actually just develop a drive at one in 50, Put a sump in, and and as the jumbo is going past that 
intersection area, puts a he bores his lifters a lot deeper on the left and puts a bit of a camber. And you just when the road, if you carry a carry a bit of grade, you can have a bit of a lump in the road. And all your water just comes out of that level straight into the sump. You don't you don't actually need to grade down into a sump and then grade up. You can actually go one in fifty up the whole way. Just you, you mine it to suit the sump. Yeah, but the the trade off for that is you don't know your water doesn't run off the decline then. So you need decline sumps. But there there look there's all those there. There's a tip and tips and trick. Engineer input. Take that to your manager tomorrow. Put a bloody one in fifty up. Jumbos love it. You don't need a pump. Easy, quicker to develop. Same result. All the water still goes into the sump. Yep. There you go. You heard it here first, ladies and gents. Well, it's been spoken about plenty of times before, so it's nothing new. <laughs> but um, applying it and, and getting you know the tech services to deliver that plan is, again, get out there and talk to the jump operator and what what works. Yep. What can we do? Do we really need to do all these changes of grade? Because the surveyor's going to go and mark it up. Yep. And the new blokes don't follow it anyway. Exactly. And oh, just, no one wants to take a pump anywhere. The whole mine was grading up, you'd be fine. Yeah. Right. So, Jonesy, advice to uh, engineers. Now, a man of your experience, you've uh, you've seen a lot of snotty-nosed engineers come through that may be in this room with uh, shit attitudes. What? Um, I remember one of those. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I spoke about that. that as I said, that was one thing I wish I could change my attitude out of uni. But anyway, as I said, this is passing on so other people don't do it. Um, yeah, well, I did, I did hear that comment in your other episode, Matty, and I was, you know, but that gets spoken about with everyone. Yeah. Like, even, like, it, truck drivers, right? Just get down there and learn. You don't know anything, whatever you've done before. Graduate engineers, you don't know, learn, listen, build your experience. But we keep saying it, we keep talking to people, and when they come on the mine sites, like, just, just assume you know nothing and learn. Yeah. Learn from everyone. So, again, same advice, right? Yeah. Learn. Yeah. Um, but as, as an engineer, as you go through your, you know, your different roles and you get your, your different experience in different mines and contractor and client and, you know, owner mining and all the, all the rest of it, um, just learn. Like, you don't know everything and people can show you some different things and take the good with the bad, you know. You can learn a lot from um, bad practices, so to speak, um, or, you know, what you perceive as something you wouldn't want to do. You can learn a lot from those, you know, the, you know, the, not the organisations, but, you know, the experiences that you get. Yep. Um, so, and just learn from them, yep. you know. Apply what works for you. Everyone does things differently. They talk to people differently. They understand, they interpret, they, you know, they create their own presentations and how they do those sorts of things. They're all differently. So just because somebody else is good at what they do doesn't mean you need to do it exactly the same to get, the you know, a good result. Yep. So everyone is different. So, and now to go up a, a, a level, um, I reckon there's probably some alternate underground managers listening to this as well. What advice have you got for those guys that are some guys that are heading towards that underground manager, general manager level, bit bit higher level? I've, I've got to you, use this opportunity because uh, you're, you're the highest level bloke that's uh, been on the podcast, James. We'll see how long you can keep that record for, <laughs> mate. What, what advice have you got for those guys heading towards those uh, senior, real senior management levels? Um, management, like when, when you guys get up there, like all your drill and blast and your engineering, like that's not management, right? That's that's a skill set as an engineer. So learning to be a manager is you need to manage people. And you mentioned it before when you're, when you're a shift boss, you can't be everyone's friend. Um, but what I found works for me is just to be, you know, personable and, you know, respect the people that you're talking to and, you know, come up with an agreement of how you want to deal with the situation and, and you know, sort of move forward 
you know, talking about it um, and understanding where each person's coming from. You know, whether that's a safety issue or a productivity or a scheduling issue or, you know, conflict or something's gone wrong in camp or something like that is, you know, you, you can't run around with a big stick, but, you know, get the people involved and understand where they're coming from and manage your expectations on both sides of the fence. Yep. And that, I, I guess I'll, I'll bloody talk you up here, Jonesy. Uh, one thing I did notice or notice in yourself, you, you just don't look like someone that will ever raise your voice at uh, and go off your tits where you see some managers and I guess if people people want to aspire to be good managers take a leaf out of Jonesy's book and I guess you, you just remain composed and I know Jonesy gets a lot of uh, shows re- that respect towards people and gets the respect back I guess well, it's uh, good to hear, Matty. I yeah. mean, you could probably ask my boys whether I raise my voice. <laughs> they'll probably give you a different opinion. Um, but, you know, that's something that I do um, try and work on as well. And, look, it's frustrating. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'll, like, I'll gather on the inside you're bloody tearing doors down and absolutely. shit. <laughs> but, you know, does that, does that get the result that you want? And, you know, does it get the result that the mine or the organisation needs? You know, probably not. You've, you've seen it around. And how much respect do you have for managers that you're seeing just, you know, go off? in meetings and those sorts of things like you don't really want to be working for them yeah well i don't but you know if you if you get someone that's trying to explain it and trying to include you into the solution you know you get a little bit more buy-in you know so you can have those sort of discussions especially in public but you know behind closed doors it's like you, know, you want to pull your hair out but yeah yeah um th- that's just the way i go about it you know it, it works for me yep ah uh, good on you right james we, we better wrap it up mate you got a uh, you got a family duties to attend to thanks so much for making the trek down to this um fancy recording studio i've got in my living room table oh, look, looks pretty good maddie it's good oh it does all right there's no bloody oh, i don't know i'm not too much into the audio refining it's just it is what it is yeah, if you have to go bloody sound effects uh, more about the quality of the content you know yeah thanks well, very well, we've much. dropped a lot of the bloodies in there anyway so that's good i've only dropped one f-bomb i think yeah the bloody's hard yeah obviously and blo- bloody's hard i think i was replacing f-bombs with bloody but, yeah. oh, good. Oh, look, good to see you doing these sorts of things. It's good to get the, you know, the spreading the knowledge in the industry. So hopefully you get, you know, big big fan base yeah. on the podcast. And, um, you know, anyone's got any questions, you know, put them through with the, the, the Facebook page that you got and yep. you can sort them out that way. Yep. Do you want to, do you want to give, yourself, give yourself a bit of a plug for Cadgy Morning while you're here, Jonesy, or you've you got enough work going on? Oh, Anyone oh, look, wants to get in contact with you for your uh, superior engineering management services? Well, that's a bit of a plug there. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, you can contact Matty or you can put something on the Facebook page, but, you know, I'm always looking for opportunities for work out there, so... Um, I can help you with different things on different mine sites for, you know, whether it's short-term or longer-term sort of issues. Yep, fantastic. But, you know, pretty busy at the moment, so, you know, engage now. So we'll um, see what we can do if you need some help or just questions anyway. Yep, too we'll- easy. Awesome. Nah, thanks very much, Jonesy. I usually uh, finish up with a bit of a uh, a bit of a make sure you do what was the last one was tighten your bloody wheel nuts do you want to do a celebrity one no no you're right you keep going with those they're good over and out listeners and make sure you fill in the check scale and book cheers